This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. I can't hear you. Should I be able to hear you? Cutting out. Ah, there you go. The green light on my on my interface is blinky, flaky. Flaky. Yeah, it's mm. okay. I think it's fine yeah, now. You sound fine now. I just couldn't hear you at all. I thought you were just sitting there staring at me. No, I was actually speaking. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what were you saying? I didn't hear anything. Hey, everybody. This is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Phase. Good afternoon. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? Doing pretty good. It's been a good day. It's been a good week. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's been a really good week. Because yeah. baseball's back. That's oh, why. yes. That's why. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of not. I keep seeing, like, like the Astros, they start... <laughs> I don't mean to... I was about to start talking about technical stuff, and then I remember that the Astros are back, and I got yeah. all excited again, so we have to talk about this real quick, but... If you're not into baseball, just go ahead and skip ahead five minutes. Uh-huh, yeah, that's right probably now. smart. We'll, we'll be done in about <laughs> five minutes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Astros the Astros reported to camp today, catchers and pitchers. And I I kind of forgot that they were reporting today cuz people have been reporting all week, you know, like y'all started up a couple days ago, right? Yeah, Giants were one of the first. Yeah. And then all of a sudden today I started seeing like gifs and vines of like our pitchers warming up and I was like, "Oh man." <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so exciting i can't believe that it's been four months since the world series mm-hmm. already mm-hmm. like when it ended i was like oh god six months is a lifetime how am right. i gonna wait this long right i mean right. i guess i have hockey but <laughs> have you been watching no no for some reason i haven't been able to get into hockey since i moved up here hmm. but that used to be my before i was really into baseball i was really that into was hockey, so i just looked forward to like november right yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, like, I'm joking, but, like, that's, you know, seeing that stuff go by on my Twitter feed kind of made made me happy, and it's only a matter of time before we get to watch actual games again, so, you know. Oh, yeah. Next, you know, next month we get to, it's just a couple weeks now, we're going to start to get to watch some preseason, or some spring training games, rather. Whoa, wait, are we going to get spring training games on MLB.TV this year? I thought so. I could be wrong. That'd be great. I could be wrong, but I thought that they were doing some games. I know that they do some exhibition games mm-hmm. before this, the season that are actually at, like, like the Giants will play the Diamondbacks right there in Arizona right. as, like, an exhibition. I'm not sure that, these, that the smaller parks, like in Scottsdale and stuff, are set up for TV broadcast. Mm-hmm. Whatever. One way or another, baseball will be happening somewhere in the country and that excites me yeah i don't know it's been good it's been a i don't know i've been i've I've just i feel i've been feeling productive this week i've been doing like like every day has been honestly slammed with stuff like there's too much going on like not too much but there's there's so much going on right now for me um trying to get you know this talk ready for ns north which is coming up soon and i i need to start rehearsing it 
You know what I mean? So I need to kind of at least get this first draft of the talk fleshed out so I can start doing the talk places. Um, so between that, you know, just finally getting caught up after this vacation all week, I've been doing a lot of open source work, like a whole lot, like on, not just on Argo, but like I got pulled into a couple of Rob Rick's frameworks to add iOS targets to them because he didn't have iOS targets on Boxer either. So I went in and added iOS targets for those. And that took like a whole day. Um, specking stuff out we've been argo is kind of where the thing has been taking the most of my time and it's been a hell of a lot of fun to work on but i'm getting a lot more people outside of tony and i that are using argo that are asking me for help you know they're coming and they're saying they're either either through filing issues or pinging me through social media or something i'm i'm and it's good and i love doing it because every time they I get asked a question, I kind of end up realizing just how powerful Argo is. That's cool. You know, and so it ends up being like little puzzles that I have to solve on like, how do I decode this thing into this thing using Argo? And it's like, okay, well you can do this, but it's going to be hard. It's probably going to be too hard to explain over radio, honestly. Um, but basically the power in Argo is more than Tony or I thought it was originally going in because, because what we did was we took the concept from ASON and just did it in swift. And so we, we, you look at that, that kind of basic case of the way a basic parser looks for Argo where you have, you know, a curried method or whatever, but then you kind of just have this JSON, key json key json key json key all the way down with the decode operator in between right and that works great and that's what 90 percent of the stuff should look like but these edge cases i was calling them keep popping up where it's like um keith asked you know the other day he was like how do i he, he was dealing with the github api and there was something that was sending a string back where he wanted an integer and so he was like it was for an id so he was oh. getting a string back in the JSON, but he wanted to store it and treat it like an integer. And so it was like, how do I do that? So if you just don't do anything, that parsing will fail because Argo will try turning that string into an integer and a string just can't be coerced into an integer. That's just not how that works. Mm -hmm. you know? Do you consider that, that that step of JSON parsing is the right place for data transformation? I I'm do. not saying yes or no. I'm just curious. Oh, okay. I do. I do. But in the in the context of... Argo, it's actually very, very easy because what you do is you do Argo's normal decode function. And so you say, give me this value in this key, but then you pass that into your own transformer. So you can just insert your own transformers into this parser and then also transform this value from a string to an int, right? And so what happens, so you throw this function inside there, right? And you have to use like a map operator. So you basically do string to int map JSON value decode key is kind of what it would look like. And this is just all hard to see over. Radio. Yeah, I'm having a hard time picturing this. Is So this would be in your create yes. function? No, your no, no, no. Not in your create function. It would be in the decode function, which I just end up calling your parser. 
right? The, that's that function is the function that takes JSON and returns uh, optional monologue. Oh, decode is the is a function that's declared in like a JSON decodable protocol or yes. something that your model objects have to implement. Yes, I see. Yes, and it's a it's a class method, class level method. It's a static method, but it's a class method. And so inside there, so you have one. You basically, if the way you end up formatting that. The way we always format that is like one line per attribute that you're pulling out of the JSON, right? So you end up with like apply J or JSON, whatever you call the JSON enum thing that you're getting, decode, and then key. But like that's just one part. So you can actually take that. It doesn't need to be in that order. You can take that decoding bit and pass that into another function and the compiler is going to keep helping you out here, right? Because the second you put another thing in, it's going to try to coerce, well, okay, if I put in a function that takes a string and returns an integer, well, now it's going to coerce that decoding into a string, right? And pass that string value into your function that's going to turn it into an integer, and then all that's going to be wrapped in an optional so that if that all fails, it still fails. But that like little thing, that little idea that it's entirely trivial to write your own transformers and just insert them into the, the parsing process at any point for any property means you can do things like what one of the things Tony's doing a lot is in formatting dates. So he gets a string back right from the server and he needs to format it and he may have multiple different formats well you just create different functions individual functions that each format the date a different way and then you just pass you decode this string out and then pass it into this function that turns a string into a date and then that's what gets passed back to your actual create function does that make sense that makes sense and then you can go even further with that you can actually implement your own parsers entirely. Like you can drop all the way down into the JSON enum, right? Where we have like a, uh, right now I, I've actually got a pull request in right now. One of the things we're doing is trying to clean everything up for a 1.0 release, kind of trying to see like, okay, what in here do we like? Don't we like, what can we clean up? What should we rename? What big, big, big breaking changes do we want to make? Let's make those now mm. and start looking at basically I think we've been talking about trying to do a 1.0 release of Argo alongside Swift 1.2. Cool. That makes sense. And so we're starting to look at these things like, you know, we're deleting a function that we don't really need. I've pulled a function out of the JSON value enum and made it a global function instead. And then pull request I just submitted like five seconds ago was literally renaming basically everything in the entire, entire thing. So instead of having, um, Argo right now, as it is on master, the enum is a, is called JSON value. And JSON value is an enum that reifies JSON types into Swift. Yes. It has a parse function and it, it basically crawls through whatever it's like going to be in any object thing that you hand it the data that comes whatever comes back from json and it's json serialization you hand it that and it turn it crawls through there and figures out what type everything is 
so that it doesn't have to do type inference down this down the road. It, how how, do, how does it resolve what the what the type inference are? You can, this is leading into a question that I have about Swift in general. You can do pattern matching based on types. So you can do like case let x as string. So oh. if you do that, if you do that, well, hold on. Let me see what the actual syntax I is because I think that was totally – You're just kind of like brute forcing No, 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 no. no. The, that's, the that's, I'm not – it's not brute forcing. It, it tries to cast it into that type. And if that type fails, it falls down into the next case statement. So it doesn't force it into a string. It just checks. It says, is this a string? Okay. I know it's a string now. I'm just going to treat it. I'm going to call it a string and I'm going to move, move along. What I meant by brute forcing is that you actually have to attempt the cast yes. to see if it succeeded as opposed to like something dynamic like Objective-C where you could literally just ask what its class is. Right. Yeah. So, so it switches. You hand it in any object right this parse function you hand it any object and then it switches on that any object and it says like case let v as array of any object and then it maps that array and parses everything down from there you know what i mean so it just crawls through the array and parses everything if it's a dictionary right it tries to cast it to string any object and if it does that then it reduces on that basically mapping over but it reduces on that and pulls out keys and then parses the values as well. And then if it's a string or a NS number, it turns those into strings and NS numbers. Or else it returns a null, kind of a null value. Mm. So that what you end up with is this tree structure. You have a, It ends up being a dictionary or an array, right? But everything in it is either a JSON object which holds a dictionary of the type string to JSON value, right? Strings are the keys and JSON values. So it's a recursive in that sense. So at this point, we're still working with the JSON, with the parse JSON structure. We haven't yet mapped it to model objects. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a crucial, crucial first step, as it turns out. We tried, uh, Tony initially wrote this whole thing without this enum. And it, worked but the type inference that the compiler had to do was so serious that this is why a little while ago we we released a finally a version that actually we said it actually worked right because it was like the type inference was so hard for the compiler to do that it just it took exponential amounts of compile time introducing this json value enum into the mix which is it, it really like the cases are JSON object, which like I said has has a dictionary, an associated dictionary of string to JSON value, a JSON array, which is an array of JSON values, or a JSON string, or a JSON number, or a JSON null, right? So really, what you get down to is the only three types in the entire thing are strings, numbers, and nulls. And then it's collections of strings and numbers and nulls past that. Do you happen to know what the exact complexity of the type inference Not a clue. is? Not a clue. You mean where does it fall down? I was kind of curious. Like, or like in, O notation? In, in, exactly. Yeah. No in, in O notation, like what is it? And is it better in 1.2? I don't remember seeing anything to that effect, but I'm not sure if they would put that in the release notes because it's like a, just a compiler detail. 1.2 is absolutely faster. Much faster. Uh, but once we introduce the JSON value, this whole thing compiles fast enough. 
You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, we, we haven't noticed a real serious bump in either direction. The one thing we do try is, well, hold on, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but so the, what, what I just, the pull request I just submitted. So I said that the, the enum was called a JSON value. And then you had case JSON object, case JSON array, case JSON string, case JSON number, case JSON null. You see what annoys me about that in Swift already? It's just like, we have Swift. Why the hell do we need to put JSON in front of freaking everything inside this case statement? That doesn't make sense. And oh. why is it called a JSON value? This thing, when, when Tony wrote this thing, he reasonably expected it to be private, actually. We thought that this was going to be a private or an internal thing that was just an implementation detail that you never had to touch right mm. and so we never put much thought into the names of these things turns out exposing this thing publicly is insanely powerful because it lets you write your own decoders that can drop into the actual types and switch based on types you know what i mean so you can get much more complex decoder like little parsers custom parsers to drop into your own parsing logic if we expose this thing so what i did is i opened a pull request that pulls the word json out of everything except for the actual enum is now just called json so i'm calling the enum json and then inside that it's object array string number null you know no json prefix anywhere so what about it being private necessitated the json prefix for everything nothing it just nothing oh. it, it was just it was just it it's not that that made us want to name it json it's just that i don't think either of us really put much thought into it because we weren't expecting people to touch this as much as i think they will in the future and given that people are going to touch it more in the future i'm more interested with getting the name right now mm-hmm and it's just something that's kind of bothered me. I kind of tried doing this a little while ago. The only weird thing about it is that now, because we have this string case inside the context of this JSON value, enum, when we're inside this class, if we're using an actual string, we have to use the module name. So we have to do swift.string. Everywhere where you'd normally just use string to type because it goes like, look, I don't know if you're talking about a JSON dot string or a Swift dot string. You have to tell me what you're talking about here. Outside of the implementation of this one class, it's not an issue. But inside the implementation class, it gets a little weird where you have to use JSON or Swift dot string in a few places. It's not the worst thing in the world. I'm, I'm actually okay with it. But I'm not sure. I've, I'm tracking why you need the module, but I. You need Obviously you need the module you. because string could mean JSON string or Swift string. Inside the context of this, they're at the same level. And like because there is no type associated with it's you have to use the namespace, right? Is what is what it boils down to. Because inside the namespace, inside the implementation of JSON, this JSON enum, there is something called a string. And so it's totally reasonable for you to just use that without the type attached to it, right? I see. And when you use it elsewhere, it has enough context to infer that this is a JSON value dot string. Exactly. Exactly. Just string itself. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I get that. And you can use. There are certain points where you can use. You don't have to put the dot string in front of it if you're inside the JSON. I think if you're inside this JSON enum, 
You know what I mean? So it's even more confusing to the compiler. Mm. So making those changes, when Swift 1. What I was going to say a second ago about compiler speeds, one of the things that still bothers me, drives me absolutely crazy, is that we have to have four different decode operators. We've just been calling it decode or optional decode, I think. Um, but so there's four of them, right? There's two for single values and two for arrays of values, right? You have the angle bracket pipe and then the angle bracket pipe question mark, which I can talk about in a second. And they have angle bracket pipe pipe and angle bracket pipe pipe question mark. So the double pipe version is for arrays. The single pipe version is for single objects. So if you're parsing out an array of strings, you need to use the double pipe version. That is 100% because of compiler limitations. It is 100% because of type inference. How did you land on that operator? The angle bracket pipe? I, I Tony just kind of made it up and it stuck. I don't okay. it's not it's not current I think it was like it's not currently defined. It kind of looks like it's pulling it out. You know, you kind of get this sense of like directionality for it and it wasn't it wasn't currently defined. We we would have used cuz what we were doing here is ripping off ASON. What we would have used is what ASON uses, which is period colon. ASON uses period colon for the same operation. Mm. Um but that's an illegal operator ah. in, uh, in Swift. So we, we couldn't use that. Could you use uh, angle bracket, open close bracket? Because that would, init- that would, I would look at that and I'd go, hey, that looks like a collection. Oh, I see. Um, like instead of pipe pipe. We could. But again, the, the only reason we're using pipe pipe is to work around. Like I don't want to put too much emphasis on it because as soon as I can get rid of the pipe pipe operator – I want to get rid of the pipe pipe operator. Um, as soon as the compiler is able to tell the difference between a... So the problem is you have two types. You have T and you have array of T, right? That is ambiguous because a single value can never be represented as an array of values, right? You're never going to go that direction, right? If I have a single string, if I have the type string, the compiler knows, okay, well... I'm not going to get that from this function over here that returns an array of strings. I need to use the one that's just T, right? But an array of strings could be either one. T could represent an array of strings, and T could also represent... An array of T could represent an array of strings. There's ambiguity there. It's kind of weird, and it was mind-bending, and it's a little... It's frustrating, honestly. But because... A T, just a, a generic array, like a generic value of type T, because that can be basically anything. That can be an optional value. That can be a list of values. That can be a dictionary of dictionaries of dictionaries of dictionaries. You know what I mean? That T can be anything. Because of that, the compiler can't figure out. It basically ends up timing out the compiler, just building the you know like it'll build argo fine but the second you try using it you try building it in your application and you use the you know it, it just increases the compile time exponentially for all this stuff because every single one of these the compiler has to go like freaks out it's like i don't know which version of 
this decode operator you mean to use? Do you mean to use the one that's trying to get an array out? Do you mean the one that's trying to not get an array out? So every time a new version of Swift comes out, I, tr I change all those definitions to single pipe to see if I can move it back. Because it would be better from a UI perspective, from an API perspective, you know, it, it would be much nicer to just do decode, 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 not have to worry about this other operator that happens to return an array. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The other thing that would fix this is something that I opened a radar on today, which is that the other reason I have to do this is because you can't add an extension on generic types and also include a type constraint. It's confusing. But so like I can't add an extension to array and say this extension on array only works if the content, the type contained by the array is JSON decodable, which is what I want. Because what would solve all this is if I could say extension array T where T is JSON decodable and then conform that to JSON decodable, right? So you're basically inheriting this idea of being JSON decodable based on the contents of the array, right? Because And that kind of makes sense. An array can be JSON decodable if its contained type is also JSON decodable. Hmm. Right, because okay. then I could just map over the contents of self, and try to decode the contents of self. Conditional protocol conformance. Yes, protocol conformance with a type. Yeah, conditional protocol conformance, and they just won't. You know, you can't do that. If you could do that, then all we would need is the single T, right? Because a single T, I don't need to specify arrays because the problem is I have to do something special for arrays. In order to decode them, I have to pass them into a special function. So the only difference between encoding, decoding arrays and decoding single values is the function that I pass them to. In the case of single values, I pass them to t.decode, right? So whatever the return type is supposed to be, I pass the value into that decode function. And in the case of arrays, I have to pass them into this special decode array function, which maps and does some kind of nil checking and stuff like that. But I wouldn't have to do that if I was able to conform array to uh, JSON decodable. Hmm. That's interesting. It, it, it kind of blows the door open on type complexity is what happens. You know, like once you can start doing that, once you can start adding extensions with type constraints, that's like... You could do crazy, crazy, crazy things there. You know what I mean? Right. Like, for example, you could say, like, arrays can't, arrays are not equatable, right? An array cannot be equatable. Not going to happen. Why not? It's not capable of doing equality on its members? Correct. No, no, no. It can. Of course it can. Um, so you can define the equal equal operator for arrays, and you can say that... An array, like you can use, so I think actually what they do is you don't conform array itself to equatable, but you can still implement the equal equal operator for it, but you just, you have that type constraint based on the contents. So you say equal equal 
of type T where T is equatable. And then you say the left-hand side is an array of T and the right-hand side is an array of T. But you're saying that you're saying that array of T is not equatable. Array itself is not equatable. If something is asking for something that is equatable, you cannot pass array. You can use equal equal on an array, on two arrays to check their content equality, but the array the array itself as a type is not equatable. Oh, I, I see how this is related to what we were just talking about now. Because you wouldn't be able to define an extension on array that says array where its contents conform to equatable. Bingo. Exactly. The only way array can be equatable is if its contents are equatable. And the only way to declare that is to say array of T where T is equatable is equatable. That's the only – there's no other way to do – how – like if you don't know that your contents are equatable, how could you possibly conform – how could you possibly get equality yeah, out of that? Because at runtime, you're going to try to equate things that can't equate. You wouldn't even get that far. It won't compile. Because you don't know what T is. You don't know what, what your interior what you're holding on to. You have no idea. It's an actual limitation in the type system. I think it's an interesting one too, because there are workarounds. Like I said, you can define equal equal for arrays. I defined equal equal for result in LlamaKit a while back. Result itself, I didn't make result conform to equatable. But what I did was I said, okay, look, if you have a result and the success type is equatable and the error type is equatable, sure, you can compare those things. Why wouldn't you be able to compare those things with equal equal? That makes sense. You and so that, that works because it's not an, an extension of result. It's just result itself. I didn't declare it on result. I didn't declare result to be equatable because in order to do that, I would have had to put type constraints on result itself that result only accepted equatable success values and equatable error values it's the same it is the same concept it's it's you either limit the type itself you either limit the generic type you either do something like the only other way to make array conform to equatable would be to say that arrays can only contain equatable objects right so you put that type constraint on the type definition itself, right? Mm -hmm. I, I guess I'm not understanding how, given the constraint of extensions and type constraints, how uh, I don't see how you added that to result. Did you? Because I just defined equal equal. I did not conform result to equatable. I just defined equal equal and not equal. I'll put the link to the llama kit and I'll link to the lines where this is because. Oh, okay. Well, side side question. Is there type overloading in Swift? What do you mean? Could you say have like results of type T, blah, 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 and then also have result of type T where T is equal to something? And when you just use them, depending on the type you put in, it knows which one, which type you actually mean. I don't it's know. just like I don't function overloading, but with types. I don't think so. I don't think you can do anything like that. I don't feel like I've ever seen that done. Okay. Here's a very general sort of question. Mm -hmm. What are the uh, introspection abilities of Swift? There's a reflect method that I've literally never touched. And reflect takes a thing that conforms to reflectable and tells you things about it. What does the docs say? Reflect. 
Reflectable customizes the result of reflect of X where X is the conforming type. So reflectable. And the, the mirror type is the concrete implementation of reflectable. I think so. So you can use get mirror to get a mirror that reflects self. Yeah. So reflect takes an object of type T and returns a mirror type, produce a mirror for any value. If the value's type conforms to reflectable, invoke its, invoke its get mirror method. Otherwise, fall back to an implementation in the runtime that actually reflects values of any type. I, I've never used this. I don't know exactly what it is. It, it's It's like the very, very tip, basically, of metaprogramming. But we don't have metaprogramming in Swift yet. Okay. So what I was driving at was I was wondering if it would ever be possible in Swift where instead of having to explicitly define your decode functions to go from this to this, you could instead just say a mapping of like key to key and then this type. Yeah, I think that I think that specifically so Haskell, you know, cuz I'm going to bring that up. Haskell has this has meta programming that they call template Haskell. And one of the things, again, I've never, I haven't done much with it, but one of the things that I know that they're able to do is generate parsers for you by default. So you can generate a default parser with template Haskell. So it'd just be like type to type, type to type, type to type. You know what I mean? One of the things that I think we could do very easily if we had metaprogramming available is at the very least, we could auto create that stupid create function that we have to write all the time. So you, you write you write out your struct and it's all nice and you have your properties and you don't have to write an initializer because structs get initializers by default and you're like, yeah, this is great. And then you go to use Argo and you immediately, the first thing you have to do is you have to write this curried function that we've been calling create, but all it has to do is it has to be curried and it has to return a type of self. And so, you know, you just create this curried create function and then just pass all those arguments directly into the initializer and return that. And it's like stupid boilerplate code that sucks to write. If we had metaprogramming available, we could do that for you at the very least. Would you prefer that initializers just get treated as normal closures in Swift so you could curry them? Or would you rather have the ability to automatically generate a curried constructor just like um, structs do internally what's the better i think the first so i I would do it in steps because like realistically speaking getting the default initializer to do what we want is not an easy thing the ideal case (laughs) that's never going to happen here's my here's my hope for swift that is never ever ever going to happen I would rather everything be curried by default always. Every function should be curried by default. You should explicitly have to say when things take pairs or tuples or whatever of arguments. That's step one. (laughs) Step one would be everything would have to be curried by default. And step two would be that we'd have to be able to use initializers as normal functions and pass them around like normal functions. So we we need the ability to pass these constructors around. We can't do either of those. Getting initializers as to be passed as functions is like that's something that I don't think is out of reach. I think that's a that's something that we should be able to do. 
I don't think it's likely. I think Tony had a radar for that, and it kind of got closed as work does works as intended. But the curried by default thing, I honestly don't think is going to happen. That's that's a pipe dream. That is that is such a big change in the underlying, the way the entire language works. I can't see it actually happening. So I'm confused by what you just said because you made it sound like functions in Swift are not already curried but no. instance methods are curried no nothing nothing's curried by default uh, not by default you can use a special syntax to create a curried version of a function so backing up real quick because we've talked about currying enough i want to make sure that if people don't know what currying is they're not completely lost currying and i'll put a link to my blog post on currying because i think it's a fairly good i'm biased but i think it's a fairly good represent explanation of what currying is the idea behind currying is that you have a function that takes multiple arguments and you turn that into a function that takes a single argument and then that returns a function that takes the next argument which returns a function that takes the next argument and so on and so forth. And what it allows you to do is it allows you to partially apply functions and partially build up functions until all the parameters are satisfied and then it executes the body of that function. Is that an okay explanation? Yes. Yes. Um, so nothing in Swift is curried by default. By default, you have to supply all arguments at the time that you call a method. There is a special syntax in Swift where you surround each parameter with its own set of parens. So instead of doing foo, open paren, A, B, C, D, E, you do foo, open paren, A, close paren, open paren, B, close paren, open paren, C, so on and so forth. It's a different syntax that gives you a curried function, a function that is curried. Okay. Maybe this changed, but I'm looking at this article. My that article? Shows, no, um, from Ole, about how you can assign a function, the function itself, to a constant, and then it's automatically curried. So you can take that. I mean, there's sample code here, but this may have changed because I think this was posted during the beta. Like that... His example seems to run oh, exactly counter oh, to what oh, you just oh, said. Oh, I'm sorry. I know this. No, so this we're both right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, like this is absolutely right. So Ole's article is about instance methods are. It says instance methods are curried functions in Swift. What it actually means is that, and, and he's not wrong. They are, but they're not curried at the level that they should be curried. They're curried in the sense that. When you call an instance method in Swift, what actually happens is it calls a class method. Instance methods are just class-level methods that have an implicit first argument of self, and that is curried. Mm. Okay. Right? So that has been partially applied to the function. That initial value of self has been partially applied to the function. The rest of the function body, the rest of the function signature is not curried. The rest of the function signature has to be – all parameters have to be satisfied at the time that you call the function. Right? So what okay. I'm talking about is a little bit different. I want by default every single argument in a function, I want that to be able to be partially applied the same way they do this. Uh, well, so the problem is here, not the problem. This is a good article, but the but the the difference is that he doesn't show passing multiple arguments to these functions. So basically, what he does is he instead of calling like object dot deposit 
he calls class.deposit and then passes in the object and then passes in an integer. What he's not showing is if you passed another integer, it would be 100, 200, 300. Not 100 in parens, 200 in parens, 300 in parens. Uh, you see okay. what I'm saying? So this is a very specific case on reference types, instance methods on reference types that are curried just that the receiving object is the first argument. And then the normal argument list of that instance method continues to be a tuple that's not curried. Yeah, I don't even think it's reference types. I think it's all instance level methods, whether it be a reference type or a value type, class or or struct or enum, any of those are actually type level methods with a curried, with an initial argument of self that's already pre, uh, partially applied. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is a very specific. It's a very specific case that this first, this implicit first argument is partially applied for you. So getting back to your original question, the us off. It, given the choice between writing some code to automatically generate a curried create function and being able to pass around, specifically being able to pass around constructors, initializers as functions. I would choose the metaprogramming version because even if we can pass around initializers, they're not going to be curried by default, which means now we have to write curry and you have to write curry. We've written curry. I've written curry, you know, two dozen times at this point, you have to write a different version for each number of arguments that you could possibly take. And that just, it's not going to scale up to some of these initializers. You know what I mean? Like if you have a, tw- you could, you know, you're going to write 12 different versions of curry and that's going to get you through the first 12, uh, you know, a struct that has 12 parameters. Like that sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, and I, and it makes that look ugly. Now you have to do return, um, curry user constructor or whatever. That's definitely a thing that exists in ASON, isn't it? I think I've seen that. Curried. There's like, 18 different implementations of curry that just keep taking more and more not arguments curry there's there's or create it's um something. and it's not in ASON. it's in haskell itself for tuples for creating tuples there's concrete constructors for any number of tuples so there's a there's a constructor for a single tuple a tuple with a single value right and it's paren x paren there's a constructor for two which is paren X comma Y paren is three paren X comma Y comma V, you know, so on and so forth. I think it goes up to 26, um, which is just, I think it's just because they just ran out of, so there's an upper limit of how many things you can put in the tuple in Haskell. Um, and it's pretty silly, but it works really well. So it's hard to, uh, and that's at the system level. You know what I mean? That's not something that I have to write. Anyway, I didn't mean to turn into like a rambling about Swift's type system. It's all good. Did all that make sense though? Hanging on by a thread. Hanging on by a thread. Which is fine. I can live with that. Man, I went to Haskell night two nights ago. Not a damn thing. Like this Haskell, like the Boston Haskell meetup. Just sat there. Felt like an idiot the whole time. There was one point where Tony, (laughs) the way he describes it is that 
in the middle of this talk, it was this talk about type systems, but like at a logic level. So he's using like formal logic notate. Like I don't understand any of this. I barely understood any of the talk, but Tony said that there was a point in the talk where his brain shut off and started rebooting itself. And when it came back, all he knew how to do was laugh. <laughs> and so he was sitting in the middle of this talk, completely lost, just tr- like kind of doing that shoulder <laughs> thing where you're trying not to laugh you know yeah you're trying not to laugh you're trying to hold it in and so your body is just convulsing with the force of your own laughter and you just you wouldn't it was it went on for like 10 15 minutes <laughs> that's a fear response <laughs> yeah yeah that's fight or flight <laughs> man but yeah so i i don't know i have sympathy for not fully understanding what's going on i'm trying to get better at explaining this stuff Anyway, we should probably wrap this up. Okay. It's been a while. Works for me. It's another long episode. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 74. And we always like to hear from you, so email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And we really appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. We'll talk to you later. Later. <laughs>